and we're live with Be Green with Amy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. Back in 2012, my husband Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. And since then, I've been coaching people to join me in achieving their plant-based lifestyle goals of weight loss and improved health. So please, post your questions for our guests. You can post comments like where you're from. You could even type in, be strong, be well, and be green. <laughs> Just has voice. Let's welcome our guest. Dr. Stephen Luenda, MD, is a board-certified family medicine physician in Southern California, Kaiser Permanente. In 2013, Dr. Luenda transformed his own health and subsequently his practice with plant-based nutrition. Please subscribe and click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Dr. Stephen Luenda. Greetings and welcome, Dr. Luenda. Thank you so much, Amy. It's a, such a pleasure and honor. Really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Oh, I am so glad you're here, and I'm so glad that all of you are watching and listening because Dr. Luenda is not just a physician. He has so many other accolades, but he also is familiar with this whole food plant-based lifestyle. He adopted the lifestyle, and he incorporated it into his practice. So this is really special because you are going to actually hear a physician that can walk the walk and talk the talk. So maybe you can tell the audience, how did you get started with this lifestyle? Great question, Amy. You know, it's kind of a long story. I'll try and make it short. I know a lot of some some people, perhaps some of your listeners have heard my story before, and um, perhaps they they don't want to necessarily hear it again. But uh, for those of your audience who haven't heard my story, it, it kind of started with my dad, to be honest, Amy. Um, he suffered tremendously with type 2 diabetes and heart disease, and he actually, something terribly tragic happened to him about, oh, uh, let's see, 11, 12 years ago now. Uh, I don't know. Well, I've shared this picture. There's a there's a picture, if you don't mind me sharing, of my dad's foot. My dad suffered with horrible diabetes, uh, diabetic gangrene. And, you know, some people are put off by the picture, but I'll be honest, it, I don't know, for some, but I'll be, let me put it this way, though. What's most important is the the messages, the lessons I've learned from my dad's story and to be honest, I was very afraid that I was following in his footsteps. But uh, I don't know how you feel about me showing graphic pictures. I think that you. I think yeah. we need to see these pictures okay. because there. Um, I know that I've had family members that were in diabetes denial, and yeah. it's important to know. Yes, I totally agree. In fact, one of the lessons I'll just share real quick about my dad's story is that I've. I felt, and this is not just about my dad, but it's also about. Uh, I've learned this from pa from patients as well from my practice, is that we tend to glamorize food, especially processed food, and we tend to minimize illness. And I think that that mindset is toxic. It's not positive. It's not, in other words, um, you know, if anybody can change their diet in a few weeks, Amy, of course, right? But for people to make long lasting change, it really needs to be a mindset change, right? And so, and I think part of that is looking at illness, not only very seriously, but looking at food very seriously. And, and 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 really to repair that that mindset of of glamorizing food and minimizing illness, which I'm not saying my dad minimizes illness, but I really think that um, he he really thought actually that his medications would take care of him. And you know, if you don't mind me just quickly sharing too, um, yeah. 
this is very important, I think, actually, for everybody listening. Don't get me wrong. Medications can definitely help. They definitely serve a role. However, if if we don't work on our lifestyle first, there's only so much that the medications can do. And one great example of this, I think everybody can understand and relate to this. Maybe you can't relate to it personally, but imagine that you have a friend who's a smoker, right? And they're smoking cigarettes, let's say two packs a day. And you're worried about them and they say, don't worry about me. I've got an inhaler and my inhaler will keep my lungs, you know, breathing and stop me from wheezing. We all know that the inhaler does something. It does something, but it doesn't undo all the damage, all the toxic damage that the smoking does to the entire body. And it's not just the lungs, it's the entire body. And so, you know, in a, on a similar token, so to speak, you know, if we are living a toxic lifestyle with respect to food and perhaps lack of exercise, but especially with poor diet, we can't expect medication to fix all the toxic effects, all the damage that the food does. And unfortunately, my father, I think, fell into that trap. He would he would oftentimes share with us that, you know, oh, don't worry, I can eat these pastries because I can always take more insulin or I've got my cholesterol medicine and all that. And of course, it didn't it helped him only to a small degree. I mean, it did help. Don't get me wrong. And again, I'm not trying to tell people to not take any medications, but I, I hope you all get the point that lifestyle first and medications second. Anyway, without further ado, here's a picture of my dad's foot. Can you see? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's awful. I yeah. warned you. <laughs> and uh, oh. yeah, you can see. Now, this didn't heal. My dad had to undergo an amputation. And at the time this was happening, Amy, he was... Uh, he was working, he, you know, driving, highly functional, even though he had diabetes and heart disease. And of course, go, you know, I should, this probably goes without saying, but a lot of people with diabetes have neuropathy and what's called peripheral vascular disease. He had those as well. And that contributed to his gangrene and his amputation. But he also, um, on a personal note, he became a grandfather for the first time. He'd been waiting for so many years to become a grandfather. And he just became a grandfather about nine months before this happened. And so he ended up losing his leg. And so as his granddaughter, which she, this is our daughter I'm talking about, as she was learning to walk, he lost the ability to walk. And, uh, and, and I wish I could tell you that there was a happy ending to that story, but I kid you not, Amy, as he was recovering from that amputation, his remaining foot, the only one left, developed this. I don't know if you could. Oh, oh. no. Yeah. And you can see how terrible that tissue is. That's it's just basically dead tissue. And so he had to have the other leg amputated. And to be honest, as a doctor, I'm his son, but I'm also a doctor. To see this happening to my dad, on top of the fact that I'm a doctor, it was absolutely and the, on top of the fact that these are my genes, this was absolutely devastating to me and to our whole family. And a lot of people think too, this is another lesson for everybody to learn, is that. You know, a lot of people think illness is just illness and there's so much more to illness. Illness is living. I mean, or the, it's life. It takes away our, our life, a big chunk of our life. It, it affects our families, our friends, our level of independence, our financial well-being. I mean, it affected my dad across and, and our family across many aspects of all of our lives. And it was, and Above above and beyond all that, it was depressing. For him, he went into a severe depression. I think all of us went into some level of depression just having witnessed all this as a family and seeing him go through this. And 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 our kids, um, you know, they're his grandchildren, um, they really didn't grow up with the grandfather that 
they could have, who they could have had, you know, he wasn't the same without his legs and not only without his legs, but being so depressed for many years and not being able to do so many things. And he, fortunately he did live for eight more years after that, but they were poor quality years. So, you know, diet is not just about living a long life. It's about a high quality life. There, there's an expression. It's not just about adding years to your life. It's adding, adding life to your years. And my dad was a perfect example of essentially the opposite of that and, and why we need to do this because, you know, and a lot of people will say, oh, I'm so sorry, Dr. Lewenda, about your dad, but, you know, I, I'm not too worried about an amputation. And on one hand, to be honest with you, Amy, actually amputations are very common, over 100,000 every year in the United States due to diabetes. However, what's far more common, of course, is heart disease and stroke and cancer and, and dementia. And those diseases, um, heart disease is 50%, I mean, there's a 50% chance that any human, any adult will get di um, heart disease in their lifetime. So, uh, and if you, uh, I think stroke is 20 or 30% and Alzheimer's is around 20. Or, I mean, in other words, these, the risks of trad, these are tragedies, all of these diseases really. And they're largely preventable, as you know, through diet and lifestyle. And I, I didn't know enough, Amy, about this. I, you know, in medicine, in uh, medical training, we're, we have very little to no um, training in, in nutrition. And the little that we do have is on typically very rare cases of sort of, you know, vitamin de deficiencies, starvation, um, very thing, things that we hardly ever see in real practice. We don't, we don't learn how to reverse diabetes or, you know, how to, how to help people to get off their medication with diabetes or high blood pressure, or heart disease and things like that. And that's what really matters the most. And we certainly don't learn, you know, when it comes to weight loss, we learn about portion control and moderation and everything in moderation and exercise when really those strategies don't work over 90% of the time. They might work in the short term, but they don't last, you know, um, long term. And, you know, we'll talk more about that later. So I was really naive when this was happening with my dad and I was scared uh, also, uh, depressed and scared for my own health. And I was following in his footsteps, Amy, I, I was obese. Uh, I weighed about 255 pounds and I'm 6'2". So I, don't, I have a picture of myself here. I don't know if you can see. Ah. Oh my goodness. I wouldn't even, yeah. I oh, wouldn't even right. know that that was you. Yes. Whoa. You can tell. Big difference. And anyway, I, long story short, I learned about this lifestyle, whole food, plant based lifestyle through Dr. Furman's book, Eat to Live. My wife, it was, rec the book was recommended to her, and we ended up sharing it together. And she introduced me to it. And I ended up, you know, one of the things I, we were chatting about this earlier, you and I, but one of the things I learned that was, I could not believe there were so many things I was pinching myself that I was learning. And not only was I pinching myself that, that these things could, these things be even true, but if they are true, <laughs> how come I wasn't told about these or taught about these things. Right. And one of those things that uh, I was pinching myself, or I just couldn't believe, I just had to prove that it was wrong was that, you know, you can, you can lose a lot of weight, not just a little bit, but a lot of weight, not counting or measuring anything, no portion control. You could eat until you're full. And the bonus on top of that, which again, can't still, I almost still can't believe it, is that even if you don't exercise, you can lose a lot of weight. In fact, exercise really doesn't, it's very weak when it comes to weight loss. You don't, and so all of these things I could not believe, but when I learned the, the mechanisms of how all this works, it actually makes, and the science behind it, it makes a lot of sense. And I love teaching it now, with my patients, but I didn't know it back then. And so I had sort of challenged, not sort of, I challenged myself on this journey to basically apply what I was learning and, 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 the, and the things that I was pinching myself about. I 
and I was thinking, well, maybe I'll, if it doesn't work, then I'll just prove them wrong. And if it does work, well, then I win. So it's a win-win either way. <laughs> and uh, so I, I ended up on this journey and, you know, in the beginning was tough, but I ended up losing 75. It got easier over time. And I ended up, you know, when you, when you transition, a lot of people don't realize your taste buds change. You end up sort of detoxing from your old diet, from all this processed food and the animal foods, but it, it takes time to adjust and it takes time to kind of get over these, these uh, cravings that you might have and the withdrawal. It's almost, I've never personally, I've never had a drug problem or an alcohol problem or a tobacco problem, but I imagine it's kind of similar. There's a, there's a transition period where you were adapting to life without your, whatever your thing is. And it psychologically, chemically, it had, there's a, there's a, process that's happening it's kind of a detox and so it took me a little bit of time it was tough in the beginning but you know i was rewarded by the fact that it was a it was working in the first month as tough as it was to make that transition i lost 17 pounds in the first month and i purposely didn't exercise so i was going oh my god it actually is working <laughs> and i was not measuring my food i wasn't counting carbs i wasn't counting calories None of that and stuff. You're, I mean, you're a scientist. You're a medical doctor. Absolutely. So we're all about research and and taking, making charts and graphing things. So Absolutely. you weren't doing any of the things that in your mind you probably <laughs> were thinking, was, I need to. <laughs> it was too simple. I couldn't believe it. it you know, uh, and you know, in hindsight, and again, this is for every, everybody listening. Um, and this is what I teach with my patients. It, it, it in hindsight, I always say to myself, of course it works. Of course it makes sense. But, um, you know, now it does, but, uh, it's because these plant foods are rich in fiber and water and fiber and water. I always, my little joke with my patients is the, these are your two new best friends, your new BFFs. And the reason being is because fiber foods that are rich in fiber and water, you know, fiber and water are bulky and heavy. So they take up space in your stomach and they, they, they fill you up but both fiber and water have zero calories. So you're filling up with these foods that are, are naturally lower in calories because of all the fiber and water. And so you just, you, the weight just falls off of you. And then, and then the health benefits come into play, not only because of the fiber and water and the weight loss, but also because of all the phytonutrients, the antioxidants, as you know, and which, are, which are unique to plants that animal foods have very, very little of. And if they have any at all, it's because the animal ate the plants, but we, if we want more of, uh, we want a high amount of them. We should go straight to the source. Why, you know, why, um, why eat the the animal when you can go straight to the source? And and so and and the thing is too is of course not to get off topic here, but of course the animal foods have the the cholesterol and the saturated fat, and and we can also get way off topic and talk about the microbiome and the plants are great for the microbiome with all that fiber and everything. So there's so many aspects to this that in hindsight, from a scientific point of view make a lot of sense. And when I was reading this book, Eat to Live, it made a lot of sense to me at the time. But uh, until I actually applied it, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where you have to see it for yourself sometimes, even though you, you believe it's true, or you, it makes sense, you have, when you see well, it for yourself. as a doctor you know? and a scientist, you have <laughs> to, you, that's what you always have done is you have to see the studies, you have to, to verify before you can just trust that it's true. Absolutely. Just then verify. Yeah. And I had, I had prediabetes. I had, um, my blood pressure wasn't particularly high, but it dropped 20 points. My prediabetes went away. I had fatty liver. I had acid reflux on a daily basis. I was getting heartburn and popping Tums every day. All these problems went away. 
I have more energy. I feel fantastic. And, you know, and I feel too, a lot of times I think people, well, first of all, I was one of those people who had yo-yoed up and down those yo-yo diets where you lose a lot of weight and then you put it back on, you lose a lot of weight, you put it back and then you end up feeling depressed and you feel, you blame yourself. You feel like, well, I must be a failure because I can't succeed long-term. When in hindsight, I realized it, what I wasn't the problem. It was the strategy. It was the information that I was given the tools I was given because, you know, when the information is Porsche control and moderation, first of all, you don't moderate highly addictive processed foods that are toxic. And there's, there's just, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who can have one or two potato chips, one or two cookies. I can't do that. And so uh, when you learn a new way with, without moderation, but really just, you know, abstaining from the toxic stuff and just filling up your plate and your days with all this beautiful, you know, delicious. And, and there's so much variety in all these, in the, in diver, you know, diversity of whole plant foods. And, you know, uh, it's such a better way to go. And then, uh, and again, without portion control, because again, with portion control, you're starving yourself and you're measuring and you're counting and you're going hungry. And to me, this way of living is, is like freedom because there's freedom now where you don't have to count and measure, go hungry. You don't, you don't have to suffer with the cravings. You don't have to suffer with, oh gosh, I need to just have one potato chip. In other words, that would, for me, that psychologically is, oh my gosh, it's painful to have to deal with that. So now I feel like I'm free from that, but I'm also, I feel like I'm free from um, the, not the burden, but I felt like there was a monkey on my shoulders with my dad's genes. And it's not just my dad, there's other family members. And I felt like I was kind of doomed or destined by those genes. And, you know, now, now I've learned there's an expression that, you know, um, life, excuse me, genetics loads the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger. In other words, your genes predispose you to certain conditions, but that doesn't mean you're going to get them. And if you have a different, healthier lifestyle from what your ancestors had, that those who had diabetes or heart disease, whatever it may be, there's a very good chance you won't follow in their footsteps. And that's exactly what I'm seeing with myself right now. I'm not follow. I was following my, my father's footsteps and now I'm no longer. And, and I, you've you also know, changed your family tree though. Yes. So that it wasn't just you that had to worry about the genes, your right. your children and grandchildren, all those other and, and your Absolutely. people around you. So you're able to change the family tree so that those people don't have to worry about the genes either. That's right. No, absolutely. You know, you're you're absolutely right. And so and so it had such a profound impact this information and this transformation on my life. And then as a doctor, I just couldn't I couldn't witness this firsthand and not let this change everything that I do as a doctor. Because unfortunately, we as doctors, we've come to sort of accept that, um, you know, well, that illness is kind of inevitable, chronic illness, that it's just part of aging, that it's genetic. And once you have it, you have it and you need to go on medicate. Once you need to go on medications, you're going to be on them the rest of your life. And you got to, and you, and you're going to need more and more medication over time. And once I was empowered with this knowledge, and not only that, but, you know, you know, and I'm preaching the choir, I'm sure, but I've learned that many of these chronic conditions are not only preventable, but they're reversible. I've actually seen now in hindsight, I can share with you confidently that I've seen many patients get rid of their diabetes completely, get not only get off the medication, but no longer actually have blood work that shows diabetes anymore, which now I know there's other doctors out there who know this, and I'm sure you've heard this and I'm sure you've had other guests on maybe saying this, but there may be some people in your audience who've never heard this before. Exactly. And 
And I can tell you as a doctor, it took me a long time to hear this message. So God bless you, Amy, for, for putting this message out there and, and sharing and so, um, so vibrantly and with so much, so much light and energy and positivity, because really that it's not just the message, but it's how you share it too. And, and you're, I know you're inspiring people and that's, we're in this together. And I, um, I can tell you that when I started sharing this message with patients that, wow, they were so, excuse the pun, they were so hungry to hear this, but I don't, I think that they didn't realize there's an I, there's a quote actually from I don't know if you're you know everybody's I guess familiar with Apple the company that makes iPhones and so forth but Steve Jobs said something like the late you know the late Steve Jobs said something along the lines of people don't know what they want until you show it to them and that I think that quote was attributed to when he introduced the iPhone to the world when it was all brand new and you know because in other words the um, you know the iPhone wasn't something that was developed out of market research it was something that was invented and then when he showed it to the world so many people looked at it and go, oh my God, I want that. Well, I feel like that's happening with me in my practice. I share with them that, look, this is possible and that's possible. You can get off your medication. You can lose weight, whether you exercise or not. You can, you know, you can get rid of your diabetes potentially and all these amazing benefits. And you could feel better, have more energy and get rid of your acid reflux and your sleep apnea. And people look at me with these big eyes, like, really, I can? And I don't have to measure and I don't have to go hungry. And oh my God, I didn't know I wanted that until you until you shared it with, me. <laughs> you know, and I mean, maybe, or maybe they did know they wanted it, but they didn't know it was possible, you know? And so, um, anyway, that's, that's my story. And we started, you know, I, I have to be honest, the way traditional medical practices are set up, we get sh a short amount of time with patients. And it's, it's very unfortunate because when, it, when it, it, for medications, for me to prescribe medications, I don't need, I don't need 30 minutes to prescribe a medication. I could prescribe medication in five, 10 minutes. You know, here, here's a medication, here are the side effects, here's what you need to know, have a great day, and your, your numbers are going to get better. But And that doesn't take long. But yeah, my, da people, my dad had a doctor, and he called him the butterfly, because he'd come in the exam yeah. room, ba -ba -da, and then psh, he'd be gone. Right, right. <laughs> That's and, not a way to... Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not healthy. It's not healthy at all for, for patients or for our society. And so what I realized is that was going to be a, the traditional model of practice was going to be a, a challenge for, for me to take this message to my patients and not only take this to them, to share it with them, but to really give them what they need, the tools and the support. So um, a nurse practitioner and I created a program together. We I inspired her to, she saw that I was, you know, making my transformation and she was very curious and sh she was inspired. And so she started making her own transformation and we decided that we would start a program together. And we were very fortunate to have the support of our medical center, which by the way, we got the support of the medical center because one of the assistant medical directors also was inspired by, by my story and by her. I mean, by it, it, you know, there was kind of ripple effects across our medical center where a lot of, not only patients, but some of our colleagues were inspired. And so thank goodness we got the support um, that we needed because otherwise I don't know that I'd be, you know, um, on this interview today. I, I don't think I would have been as, uh, I don't know. Um, I'd probably be depressed because the way that, again, the way the practice model is set up, it's just not really conducive. And so anyway, long story short, we created a program where we, we teach class. We have, we have up to two hours. We can teach classes for, you know, and we can have a large number of people. And, you know, I was spending, 
I didn't have an hour, but I was spend I was trying to spend an hour with each patient, but one patient at a time. And now I can spend two hours or an hour. You know, we have different sessions for different things, but different topics and so forth. But my point being is now I can have up to a hundred people. Now, right now during the pandemic, it's virtual, but before the pandemic, we had a large, essentially a large conference room where we we literally had up to a hundred people learning about whole food, plant-based nutrition and all the benefits. And then based, so they'd come to this introduction class and get introduced to it. And then, and then we had weekly meetings. We still have this again, it's virtual, but weekly meetings for more education and support. We had cooking classes and, and we would, and we had the nurse practitioner, her name's Maureen. She's amazing. My partner in crime, I call her. And she would follow up with the patients and ask them, not only coach them, but help them get off their medications. In other words, follow their sugar levels and their blood pressures. And, and so we were this amazing team. And then we had dietitians join us and we expanded the program. And so we're much bigger now. And the pandemic has kind of changed things. And it's obviously a stressful time for so many of us, but things are not quite the same as they used to be. But as far as being in person and everything and have, we don't have the, um, we used to have in-person cooking classes where people would taste the food and learn how to cook it. And so we miss all that, but nonetheless, it's been an absolutely tremendously rewarding experience. And it has not only rejuvenated my my joy of medicine, but it's just rejuvenated my 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 level of optimism and and hope for society and for and for the medical profession in general. Because as you as you know, Amy, I mean the the trends aren't looking good. I mean the society is becoming more and more obese, more and more diabetes. Everything is getting going in the wrong direction, and the medical profession is struggling with not enough doctors. And you know we keep the. I'm not against pharmaceuticals, but there's more and more drugs being developed all the time. I mean, I can't even keep up with all these new drugs, but the drugs aren't what we need right now. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should get rid of them or we should stop developing new ones, but we don't, we have enough. We we need to focus on lifestyle and it's really sad that there's not enough, but you know what? There's, there's more and more doctors like myself and more and more coaches like you and dietitians who are who are getting this message and who are taking it to the people and sharing it and support and providing support and I know you're doing that and so things are looking up thank god and and um and again I, I I'm so honored to be with you and to be sharing this with you and and to and to uh, and to meet you too I, I I'm so excited for what you're doing and the more of us out there the better right oh yeah absolutely you have quite a story to share and I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to share the photographs with us. I mean, they, they were graphic and they were hard to watch, but a lot of the things that people have to suffer with because they have poor lifestyles are not easy. And knowing that once you know, you can't unknow, that's what, that's my yeah. feeling. And so you just really want to get the word out and knowing that some of these things could be prevented. And you're right about the way that the uh, Americans and other populations, they're just getting heavier and heavier. I just spoke with someone today who has a son and she was concerned because he's he's growing very, I mean, he's probably in the hundredth, hundredth percentile, but he's starting to lose weight as he's growing. And she showed me a picture of him. And I don't have a distorted view anymore about what normal looks like. He was slim. But you didn't see his rib cage. To me, if you don't see the rib cage, then maybe if you see a little ribs, it might be okay. But the, I didn't even see the rib cage. So I said, well, I'm not a medical doctor. And I'm sure that your doctor probably would have said if he was concerned. And she was just really, really concerned that he that he was too skinny. I said, our view of, of what is normal 
has just right. it's been distorted and it's just so unfortunate that and now you go into the stores and the, they make chairs lawn chairs that are bigger and if you, somebody 30 years ago two people could fit in that one chair and even when i go into like a, a medical doctor's waiting room they have these chairs that they look like glove seats, but I think they're meant, I don't think it's meant for two patients to sit together. <laughs> I think it's meant for one. Absolutely. And it's, it's so sad that this is happening. And, and especially because, you know, it's not, we, we see these disturbing tr trends where we're, as a society, we're becoming more obese, have, there's more diabetes, more, more everything really related to that. But it's not because we've become weaker or, or our willpower has, <laughs> has dropped or or that our genetics have gotten you know weaker over time or, or or we've got all these genetic defects all of a sudden it's it's really the it, it's inf, it's it's the message it's the information but it's also a lot of it is industry unfortunately you know but we didn't become smoke you know there was a time where about half of the country smoked cigarettes it's not because there's something wrong with the united states it was the fact that it was the cool thing to do it was marketed, we were marketed to so much advertising, even doctors were promoting cigarettes. And, and now it's, you know, you turn on the TV and I'm not that, not that you should, but if you do, you know, pretty much every other ad is, it's either, um, you know, a fast food ad or, a, or a restaurant ad with unhealthy food on the screen to tempt you. Right. And then the, and then oftentimes the next ad is a pharmaceutical ad for diabetes or heart disease. It's like, Oh my goodness. And so, and the more we see these ads, the more we start to accept that this is how society is. This is how we eat. That these are the pills that we take. This is all normal. And, and socially, you know, I mean, whether it's, we could look at the schools when it comes to what the children are fed in schools and everywhere, even in hospitals, the food in hospitals as a doctor, I mean, I, I have to, I don't know. I, I, go crazy sometimes seeing what they serve to us. I'm not saying that where I work is necessarily, it's really universal. It's everywhere from my training, pizza, donuts, bagels, cream cheese, all kinds of treats. And, you know, and there's good intention behind it. People mean well mm -hmm. and they, they feel like, oh, you know, you deserve this nice food and this and that and the other thing. And we don't realize what we're doing as a society and as a culture. And, and it's, so, it's so preventable. And um, I'm worried that, you know, my concern is that we can, we can, you and I and, and all the others in this movement, Amy, can make such a big difference, but we alone can't uh, overcome, you know, big industries. You know, it, it has to be a grassroots movement. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, <laughs> a lot can change, but it really has to be a grassroots movement. And we have to start somewhere, of course, but, it, you know, eventually our society has to just... Um, we have to reach sort of a majority where the I don't know I'm not a I'm not a uh, a politician or anything but I think we need where the bulk of society really wants to be healthy and really is tired of seeing this and mm -hmm. eventually I think the medical system is going to be under so much strain and I don't mean to sound so doom and gloom here but you know a lot of people say oh I can't it's so expensive uh, you know my medications are expensive my my insurance is expensive well a lot of that, most of that has to do with how unhealthy we are as a society. So whether, and a lot of people are going bankrupt because of their medical bills. So whether it's the cost, whether it's the shortage of doctors or, or, and a lot of times too, to be honest, a lot of doctors, I don't mean to, again, sound so doom and gloom here, but a lot of doctors are strained psychologically in terms of burnout. Uh, I mean, not, not only doctors, there's many industries these days, but 
there's a high degree of burnout in the medical profession and gosh, whether, whether it's cost, whether it's burnout, whether it's supply and how many doctors we have or nurses and everything, there's a lot of strain going on. And I, and I think that hopefully our society and our leaders as well will see the light and say, you know what, we really need to change here. And, you know, I've been, I don't know about you, Amy, but I've been kind of sad too, uh, not only about the pandemic, but by the, the, the fact that most of our leaders or the politicians and those with the most power are not speaking enough to, to lifestyle now during the pandemic because, right? yeah, I mean, as you know, and I'm sure a lot of listeners know, 90% of people dying from COVID have pre-existing conditions, which are lifestyle related or obesity, including obesity. And why aren't we hearing about that? You know, we're hearing about things that are important. Don't get me wrong. But at some point, the lifestyle, the poor lifestyle choices we make as a society has to be brought up as a, as a main issue. And it's not. And it's very sad. Yeah. And, we were actually talking before the broadcast because you were talking about something. And I wanted to, I'm going to pose this question to our audience to see if, if they, what they think. And then I'm going to ask you to answer it. So true. this is true or false, guys. You don't have to type it in if you don't want to, but we'd love it if you type in your guess. And don't worry, it's not a, not a real test. So nobody cares if your guess is right or wrong. So the question that I was talking about was that the likelihood of becoming obese is increased by nearly 57% if a close friend is obese. And if you guys type in true or false, do you think that's true or false? And then I'm going to ask Dr. Luenda to talk about that. So go ahead, Dr. Luenda. Okay. Well, like I said, so it's not a real yeah. test. So you can sure, go sure, and sure. say the no, answer. The answer is true. There was a study done. Uh, I I don't remember the exact numbers, but I believe the 57, that, that actually rings a bell to me. And this is so powerful. I'm actually very glad you brought this up, Amy, too, because people, when people think about diet, they think about, we think about ourselves and how can I change? And that's very important. But what people don't realize is that we don't live in bubbles. We're social creatures and we're influenced by what others do around us. And so I think, you know, to be successful on this journey, wherever you are and wherever you're going, you really need to consider how you need to kind of plan ahead. First of all, you need to plan ahead um, because if you don't plan ahead and you, you go to a social event, okay, you go to a restaurant, whatever it may be with your friends, chances are um, you're going to probably eat like them. And that I'm not saying that, <laughs> not saying this is always, always, always a bad thing. But my point is, is that you really have to take into account not just your individual life, but your social life, all the aspects of it. I, I share with my patients and say, look, First of all, don't preach to your friends. Uh, Dr. Doug Lyle, I learned this from him. Don't preach to them because if you preach to them, you create a lot of tension in relationships and and people might think, oh, you know, oh, so you think you're better than me now and that kind of a thing. That's not good, but- but yeah, He talks if, about getting along without yes, going along. You know, we're, yes. Yeah. And I, I really love his lessons on this and, and I, I share them with my patients. And, you know, I think if you can lead by example, um, First of all, if people really, if they're really truly your friends, they won't pressure you into eating like them. They'll support you on your journey. But, but more importantly, or just as important, if you be, if you become a good example, a role model to them without preaching, you might inspire them. And if you inspire them, now all of a sudden they're curious, and now they're hopefully they're starting to eat a little bit or a lot like you. And now you're not alone, and now you don't feel like the oddball, right? So, the other thing too that I share with my uh, patients, Amy, about about this topic is that, look, if you're finding that 
your current friends are not supportive and it's just causing a lot of stress for you on this transition. I'm not saying dump your friends. I'm not saying that. If, if you decide to do that, that's up to you. That, that's on you, not me. I don't want to be in responsible for that, but, but it's okay to make some new ones too. It's okay to make some new ones. It's okay to, you know, to be, become friends with Amy, become friends with me, become, uh, go online and find some support, get, whether it's coaching, whether it's just peer support, Maybe in your community, there's some sort of meetup or cooking class or something in your community. We've had a lot of our patients in our program. Actually, one of the one of the key, the cornerstones or you know foundations to our program is we wanted to kind of create this plant-based village. Now, literally, we're you know we're not literally a village, but we wanted to build a community of support so that people have because that's so important. So anyway, I'm I'm probably rambling on, but your question is not just fascinating, but it's actually kind of crucial <laughs> to understand that for success. And a lot of people don't in that, you know, anybody, again, I said this before, but anybody can change their diet for a few weeks or a couple of months, but how are you going to sustain it long-term? And part of that is your social environment. And so such, so important. I mean, I know you have other questions You're true and false. So well, I, don't that's wanna... a, I think it's a wonderful answer. And we really, sometimes it's fun to have friends that like to go hiking, other friends that might go bowling, other friends that just like to watch TV. And maybe you can just do those activities with those friends without having to do the eating with them and have friends that Great like point. to eat in the way that you do. So I think that that's awesome. And we were talking about diabetes earlier. And you basically were talking about reversing type 2 diabetes. So, class, I have another question for you. And it's going to be true or false. So get ready to type in your answer. And then we'll have Dr. Linda give the answer. And it is, if you have type 1 diabetes, nothing can be done to improve your outcome. Is that true or false? Dr. Linda. So that is false. Uh, there's two ways two ways to look at this or sort of answer it. One is that, um, you know, even though um, type one and type two are different, and for those of you who are not familiar, type one is where the, the, the pancreas is not producing insulin. So you essentially you have zero insulin, which is crucial to controlling your sugar levels. But, you know, and then type two is where your body's making insulin, but it's resistant to the insulin. So it's there. It's like uh, the insulin's like a key that opens the door to let the sugar in. And in type one, there's no keys, but in type two, the locks are all broken or jammed, if that makes sense. And now, now that being said, in type one, if you improve your lifestyle, even though, uh, well, first of all, you do have to take insulin, <laughs> but even though, even though you have to take insulin, by improving your lifestyle, you'll probably need less insulin because it'll work better. In other words, insulin resistance is not black and white. I think we all have some to, to a certain degree. So when you improve your lifestyle with a whole food plant-based diet and exercise and everything, uh, you know, your, your, your insulin will work more efficiently. So you'll need less, but more importantly, or just as important, people with type one diabetes typically don't die from type one diabetes. They die of complications. They die of heart attacks and strokes and kidney disease and all these kinds of things. And so by improving your lifestyle, uh, you, you're helping to prevent all those complications. You're helping to prevent your heart disease and your stroke and, and your high blood pressure, which your high blood pressure and your diabetes are separate things. So just because you have type one doesn't mean you should eat whatever you want because you'll probably get high blood pressure and have a heart attack or stroke at a much earlier age. And you'll probably end up, you know, who knows, you can end up like my dad, type one and so forth and so on. In fact, we've had to be honest, we've had patients um, say so we had a patient with type one diabetes who was who was looking at is facing amputation. And we were able to see him early enough in his course that even though he has type one, 
he was able to spare his leg from amputation. We believe what happened was not only his diabetes improved, but his circulation improved. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the, the research done on heart disease reversal shows that within days to weeks, the arteries can open up. It doesn't take years to open up your arteries. We're talking days to weeks. So it's really never too late, um, but um, it's so powerful. And, you know, I should, I, if you don't mind, I want to just quickly say something about exercise. I know we've, we've said, both of us have said that exercise is not needed for weight loss, and that is true. However, I just want to make sure everybody's clear. Weight, I highly recommend exercise, not necessarily for weight loss, but for so many other benefits, you know, less heart, less, basically less everything, less heart disease, less cancer, less diabetes, better moods, more energy, less pain. You live longer. And the thing is, is, you know, I have so many patients who say, oh, but I can't exercise, doctor. I've, I'm confined to a wheelchair. Well, first of all, even if you're confined to a wheelchair, you could probably do chair exercises. There's exercises for everybody. The other thing is that, and I learned this from Dr. Furman from the Eat to Live book, but and, and, or maybe it was a speech he gave, but my, uh, what I'm trying to say is that a lot of times maybe you feel like you can't exercise when you're starting this journey. However, I can't tell you how many patients just from eating better, they drop 50, 75, 100 pounds or more. All of a sudden they have less pain in their joints. They have more energy and they, they want to exercise. <laughs> they want to get out. They go, you know, I haven't felt so good. I want to just go do it. So I want to make that clear um, because I've been, God forbid, I've in the past, I may have um, been on interviews or given interviews or given classes where I didn't make that point clear enough. And people might get the wrong idea that exercise is not valuable. And it absolutely is. But anyway, back to right. our- there, there, yeah. There's a trainer, his name is John Pierre, and he yes. works with a lot of older patients. And he talks about how as long as you can move something on your body, you can exercise. And so whether it's taking a water bottle and just lifting it up five times on each arm while you're watching TV, or whether it's sitting in a chair and just lifting your knees up and down as if you're walking. We had somebody that we interviewed that had arthritis in the knees and, and she was going to be bound for a wheelchair. And as she was trying to lose the weight with this lifestyle, she really couldn't move very much. So she bought a video about walking and she would be in her living room and stand up and look at this video. And it was a, a video about walking in place. And so she would just do this in place until she, her knees couldn't take it. And every day she just kept doing it. And now she's climbing mountains. So instead of being in a wheelchair. Yes. So it, it is, you're right. It is so important. Yeah. So we have some questions from our audience. I wanted to give people a chance and you still have time. If you want to sure. post a question yep. in the comments, go right ahead. But we do have some questions that some people had emailed in earlier. Jamie T, my retired hubby doesn't want to join me in adopting this lifestyle. Oh, I'm working and he cooks. I really want to be healthy and lose weight. What can I do? Gosh, this is a tough one. And it's kind of common, actually. And if I if I read that correctly, so she, it's Jamie, so right? She's Jamie. working. So she's working. Yeah, Jamie, her yeah. husband cooks. He's the one that's cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, I we could I I feel like we could probably spend a whole hour or more because this question, no, it's a it's so important and there's so many nuances to it. I'll try and make it I mean, I want to do the best I can answering it, but I um just to make uh, time for other questions too, but on one hand, two things really. One is is that even though it may seem like your husband is not interested right now, you never know. They might spouses might be willing to make some compromises. 
The other thing is that never give up. In other words, I know of couples where the couples were eating um, differently for a couple of years, actually, where one was plant-based, the other one wasn't. And then over time, um, eventually the other one came on board. And so, and there's gentle ways of, you know, um, trying to get them to make some changes. And again, sometimes it's a matter of negotiating. Can, can we give up this or give up that? Or can you eat this outside of the house? I just can't see it. It just, it's, you know, calls my name and I can't stop eating. The other thing that I try and share with patients is maybe put it this way. Like, let me give you an example of a meal. Let's say we're going to have a taco salad. Okay. And, but husband wants it with meat. Okay. Well, maybe the point being is that the point being is that maybe you can make something where the core of it is plant-based, but with one or two modifications, the other spouse, the, sp the other spouse is happy, like the, the meat or the cheese or whatever it may be. So that's kind of a way where both can be happy, where it's not too much extra work for the cook. It depends again on whether the cook, now I've had some uh, families where they, they, um, they implemented a strategy like that. And then over time, the one spouse realized, you know what? I like the salad. I don't always need the meat. Maybe I can start to cut back and make the meat smaller or not have it as often. And so those are some strategies that might help. The other thing is you might have to, um, was it Julie or Jamie? I'm sorry. I, was it Jay, right? Jamie. Jamie, you might want to consider as hard as this may be, you know, preparing some of your own meals and, and it, it, it all depends because there comes a point where if your health is that important to you and your husband is just not willing to give at all, I mean, hopefully he's willing to give some, right? But if he's not, you might have to just take matters into your own hands. And I'll be honest yeah. with you, we, I live in a house where <laughs> I'm very, very busy. And um, a lot of times I make food for myself because I'm always on the run and I'm always staying late at work and my wife will cook some, I'll cook some. And you sort of have to be flexible and, and plan ahead and and do bat you know batch cooking actually um, is is an, another good strategy because you know if you think you don't have time to cook everybody's got an hour somewhere where you can make one or two big large pots of something or or maybe batch prep salads or whatever it is and most of the time during the week I don't I don't do a whole lot of cooking during the week I'm literally just um, grabbing food that's already made and frozen or you know sometimes not frozen but and taking it to go to work with me so i hope those tips help yeah those um, are great tips i think they are ed c whole food plant-based sos free that's sugar oil and salt free for those of you listening or watching so sos free for six months my cholesterol went up yeah. what are your thoughts i've heard these yeah. worries before yeah well, okay, so this is something that can happen. It's not super common, but it does happen. And so you're not alone. And um, I would say I have a couple of thoughts off the top of my head. On one hand, not all whole food plant-based and even SOS diets are all are all the same. And so there may be some subtle uh, or not so subtle tweaks or adjustments that you might want to consider. And what those what those adjustments are, I don't know yet. In other words, I would if I were your doctor, I'd, I would ask you to maybe uh, for three days or so keep a food journal or food log, and I would look and see. Now, sometimes one one possibility is sometimes I've had some patients say, "Yeah, no, I'm 100% whole food, plant based," and then I might see some little you know processed things here and there that a lot of people don't realize are processed. And boy, you really have to play detective with some of these products to find out what's in them and you know what they're made with and so forth or how they're made. 
So that's part of it. But the other thing too is that in some cases, uh, for many people, saturated fat, even if it comes from plants, you can make your cholesterol go up. So, um, you know, sometimes that's nuts and seeds. Now, nuts and seeds. Now, nuts and seeds are not the only source, but those are kind of the in coconut and things like that. So, those are things that could be definitely a healthy part, integral, healthy part of your whole food plant based lifestyle. But sometimes, if you eat a little too much of them, it might make your cholesterol go up. Now, at the same time, let me let me make one other point clear too. The cholesterol number is not the be all end all. It it doesn't mean that you're going to have heart disease if you're and it now. It's, it is true that the lower, the better. We know that. But not everybody whose cholesterol goes up is going to run into serious danger. So there are other, there are other blood tests. There are other markers. There's coronary uh, or uh, CAT scans of the heart that can be done to look for a risk of heart disease. There's a lot of things that can be done to assess the person's overall risk. And so um, I hope those tips help. I wouldn't worry too much. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think even if, honest to goodness, if your diet is really healthy, your lifestyle is healthy, especially if it's healthier than it was bef before you started this journey, which I imagine it would be, I have a feeling your overall risk of everything is lower, even though you might not see all the numbers perfectly where they want to be. You might not I'll see all the numbers going in the right direction, but you know, numbers are not everything. They are super important. They are definitely important, don't get me wrong, but they're not the BL endo. So there's many nuances to that question. <laughs> I, I have patients where we, you know, we could spend 30, 40 minutes discussing all that. And, and I like to, you know, give my patients my time, um, but the time that they need. So that, that's not a quick and easy one, but I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah. And all, you know, the more fiber, the better too. It's, it's not unreasonable. I don't think people need to take any fiber supplements, but the more soluble fiber, soluble fibers and uh, fruits and beans and, uh, and, um, and whole grains, so those those may tend to help a little bit more. And and some some patients, you might want to consider also a fiber supplement, but I generally don't recommend that. And that kind of goes against my philosophy of, you know, just whole plants. But um, if you're if it really stresses you out and you're at your wit's end, I suppose that wouldn't be the end of the world to take a little extra fiber supplement. But yeah. I hope that helps. I think a food journal is a, an excellent idea for anybody that is struggling where maybe they're not losing enough weight or they don't like where their numbers are because sometimes we do tend to, like you said, we have a little food amnesia <laughs> as far as what we've eaten for the day because it was just this little bite. And even a little bite of something can right. make a tremendous right. change. And, it's, and then sometimes right. it's a little bite here. And especially, I think, for the people that prepare food. <laughs> oh, yes. I think yes, yes. They could be preparing food in the kitchen and then it's time for the meal and they're like, I don't know why I'm not hungry. <laughs> <laughs> because nice. they've been tasting the whole time. <laughs> I do. I've done that. Really. Okay, let's see our next question. Oh, Jesse T says, what are your favorite meals to batch cook? Oh, that's a great question. I love that question too. You know, um, to be honest, I go through, I don't know about you, Amy, but I go through phases. I go through stages where I love something for a few months and then I might get a little tired of it and then I move on to something else and then I eventually get tired of that and they move on. And I, and I go through, you know, and I cycle through and I may end up coming back to something I haven't had in a while. And so I, I happen to love Mexican food. I, I really don't get bored of that. Um, so, and to be honest, um, as far as batch cooking, I don't always batch cook Mexican food because one of my favorite things to make is, I mentioned taco salad. I love just putting together. It's so easy to do. Maybe, in fact, if I'm batch cooking, I'm more batch preparing the salads or batch preparing uh, maybe some of the ingredients or batch preparing, including a, a dressing or sauce. 
Um, but I love throwing together, you know, greens and 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 carrots and tomatoes and onions and maybe some peppers in there, jalapenos or something, and then and then some beans and some grains and and then a delicious dressing on top. And I or in salt. I love hot sauce. I put hot sauce. You know, and that's the funny thing. Just real quick about hot sauce. For the, if anybody likes spicy food, who's listening? One of my um, cha- not challenges, but sort of obstacles when I was starting this journey is I thought, you know, I don't, I just don't love vegetables. How am I going to eat all these vegetables? But I realized I love a lot of seasonings and spices and especially spicy food. And I realized that if I can make things spicy for, this is me now, this is not for everybody. I've had people be turned off by the, those of you who are not into, but what I'm trying to say though, is that if you can not mask, but maybe that is the word or enhance or mask some of the flavors with spices, seasonings, or hot sauce in my case, all of a sudden I enjoy these veggies so much more. So there's a lot of things I'm eating now that I didn't eat before simply because I flavored them the way, maybe you love garlic, maybe you love lemon or lime, whatever it may be. And I love fresh herbs. Um, And getting back to the batch cooking, you know, I mean, some, to be honest, we batch cook still cut oatmeal, nothing too exciting sometimes. Uh, There's curries and chilies we batch cook. It's always nice to have something like that because if I bring a salad to work, I like to pair it with something hot like a curry or a chili or a super stew. And again, it, and then, and I also love whipping up, um, this is not really batch cooking, but I love whipping up stir fries, uh, just throwing a bunch of plants, veggies, and maybe some tempeh on, on, on a hot pan and putting in some spices and herbs and, and, there's a particular sauce I love that I've fallen in love with. It's called sweet chili sauce from the date lady where the, the sweetness comes from dates and it's got a little, I think a little garlic and chilies in it. And it's so delicious. It's like a sweet and sour sauce. And, and I put that in my stir fries and I, I feel like I'm eating from a restaurant because the sauce is so good. And, and then I might put, add some ginger in it and maybe even a little extra heat, so to speak. And, uh, I, and those you can whip up, especially with the frozen veggies within five to 10 minutes. And, um, and I like to, I also like to buy things like, uh, that make things easier for me. So there's a brand called Minsley and I do a lot of batch cooking of grains like quinoa or, or brown rice or something, but they have the, these little packages that it's so, it's just super convenient. They're like about a cup serving of quinoa and brown rice mixed together. And it's just nice because, um, it's, they're pre-cooked. So literally within a minute, and I'm not a huge microwave person, but I am very busy. And sometimes that's like you make you make of it what you I mean, you do you do the best you can. Better best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So right. So what kind of hot sauce do you like? Is it oh, gosh. do you make your own or do you I haven't great? You question. have probably a variety I, of them. <laughs> I, yeah, I have a variety. I haven't met one I don't like pretty well. I shouldn't say that, but I maybe I have. But I have a particular favorite at the moment. It's called we were actually on a trip before the pandemic, believe it or not, in Belize. And it's it's actually a sauce from Belize, but they sell it here in the States. It's called Marie Sharp's um, Habanero Pepper Sauce. So good. But I, I don't Ooh. have a... Yeah, it's really good. You can get it on... Uh, to be honest, I buy it on Amazon. I, I imagine it's okay. in some stores too, but... Yeah, that's fantastic. We'll put yeah. a link for that for everybody. Sure. Later. Oh, well, you know, the secret is in the sauce. It really is. <laughs> That's all you have to do is just because the, oh, Jesse T said, sounds delicious. Thanks for the inspiration. My pleasure. You know, it, all the, even 
any kind, when people would eat animal products, you wouldn't eat just as a plain something. And even if you right. are, you're really not. Because if you think that chicken breast is plain when you cook it, it's right. not. Because they inject it with salt and all other <laughs> kinds of chemicals to make it plump and juicy. So you're not eating a plain chicken breast. But anyway, it's, yeah. yeah, the and secret you know, is definitely I, in the salt. If, I, if you don't mind me sharing too, when I was young, I really didn't like a lot of veggies when I was young. However, there were a lot of soups I ate with veggies in them. And I realized that when you make a soup, there's so much flavor also because of the herbs and spices and seasoning. So I remembered that when I started this journey and I said, you know what, let's include a lot of soups because that's a that's an easy way to get your veggies in and enjoy them perhaps more, I enjoy them more than say um, plain. Now, if you happen to enjoy them plain, go for it. I mean, I just happen to be that person who loves a lot of extra flavor with my food. So wow, that's great. The time just flew by. You gave I such know. great I, information I and great. No, you don't. That's <laughs> I, that's what we want. We want somebody that talks, not somebody that just kind of stares and, and says yes. Oh, you did <laughs> want to talk to me. Oh, we go, yeah, okay. <laughs> I did want to talk to oh, you, okay. and I enjoyed it so much. And I wanted to tell everybody if you wanted to follow Dr. Lewenda, he has an Instagram at Dr. Steve Lewenda. So that he has some really great posts there. And I do want to thank you, Dr. Lewenda, for joining us, for giving us your inspiration, your stories, your reality checks, <laughs> and just most of all the information. And we all know that this is something that we can do. We just have to get going. Do you want to tell everybody if you had some words of inspiration to people as we're signing off, sure. what, what would you like to tell them? Sure. A couple things, actually. One is um, if you're somebody who feels like this is too much change to make and and maybe you'll just start small, don't get me wrong. That's absolutely fine. However, something to keep in mind that I didn't realize, and I realize now, so I want to share it, and I think it can help a lot of people. Small changes sound easier in the beginning. However, in many cases, they don't work over the long run because what I see happen is this, is that when people make small changes, um, that means, for example, it, it's kind of like putting your dipping your toes in a cold pool of water. In other words, you you want to go swimming, and you're and the pool the pool's too cold, so you want to dip your toes in first. Eventually, you might get used to the temperature of the water, but in some cases, you feel like, oh, this is so cold, I just can't do it. You guys enjoy, and that happens a lot with lifestyle. Is that if you only dip your toes in, that means that the rest of your body is, or the rest of your life, you're eating, you know, these highly processed foods, these animal foods. And it, it might be really hard, you know, Dr. Lyle has the book, The Pleasure Trap, but it might be really hard. These foods are addictive. It might be very hard to succeed long-term if you're half or more of your, you know, of your diet or lifestyle is still stuck in that highly processed animal food environment, if you know what I mean. And so, and the other thing too, is if you make small changes, you know, we're motivated by success, right? And we want to, if we're making sacrifices and compromises, we want to see that it's working. And so uh, if you make small changes, a lot of times you don't see the results or you don't see the results that inspire you. So you're less likely, less motivated to continue. And I've seen that happen time and time again. People say, why am I bothering? You know, I've only lost two pounds. My I, my num my sugars have barely dropped or whatever it may be. So I actually, the other thing too, is that um, even though big changes sound harder, you know, those people who dive into a cold swimming pool, they might go, ah, it's freezing. <laughs> but 20, 30 seconds later, a minute later, they go, you know what? I'm used to it already. And I think we adjust faster and easier sometimes 
when we dive in and that and that's now that being said when i dove into this lifestyle i didn't dive in one i i aimed the bar at 100% but i i told myself it's okay if you're not perfect that's okay don't let perfection be the enemy of progress or the enemy of good if you're 70 80% 90% that's okay we're going to we're going to take this one day at a time it's a journey it's not a straight line and there'll be some ups and downs and that's what happened and it, for me it actually got easier and easier over time and i was encouraged by the results i was seeing and eventually i became 100% i'm not saying i'm perfect every single day but my point being is that um if i had if i had let that if i knowing what i know now i mean it would have been a lot easier of course the present me could talk to past me but my point being is that a lot of times people need to hear this message before they start because they have it in their mind that it's going to be a lot easier if i start small and again there are people who have succeeded but it in many cases it's not always the best way to go and the other thing is i um and your taste buds do change as i mentioned earlier so you got to give it time and it's and it's not going to it's not always going to be one or two days that you know it takes a few weeks as i mentioned so i i like this quote i want to leave you with i don't know if you can see it i'll read it okay eat more plants and you'll need smaller pants you'll have less ills and you'll need less pills it's a cute little jingle <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know sometimes people like those little jingles yeah. or messages or whatever uh to keep them going and have a little fun with it and you know speaking of fun i'll just maybe i'll end with this too don't see this as this transformation this journey or whatever it is this transition as some i mean yes it can be hard and it's worth it is worth it but don't see it as something depriving for you or a lifestyle of deprivation or something you're gonna have to struggle forever and be miserable this is something you should hopefully embrace because first of all you're not really depriving yourself the amount of the variety of, of foods that you can be eating can be far greater. I eat more variety now than I've ever eaten in my life. And, and the things that sometimes you got to let go of things that um, weren't serving you as well. You know, you may love the food, but does it love you back? And, and if anything, you're gaining, you're, again, you, you, talk, you might think about what you're losing or getting rid of, but you're gaining your health back, your life back. You're losing pounds, but you're, you know, that's a good thing to lose. You're losing your diabetes, you're losing your heart disease or whatever. It may be losing the pills that you used to take. So, so embrace it, enjoy it, enjoy the kitchen, enjoy cooking and, and make some friends and watch Amy's interviews and podcasts and learn more. Enjoy all of it. It's fun. And, and it's so, oh my gosh, it's the best experience. I think you'll be so great. Your future self will thank you. Won't, isn't that true, Amy? Oh, yes. I mean, that's that's what I love, your future self, because that's what we keep saying. If only my future self could have talked to my past self. Yes. yes. And your future self will thank you for it. And I thank you for it. Thank you for this positive, uplifting message. I think that there may be people that are watching and listening today that are, are saying, today's the day. I'm going to yes. take what Dr. Lorenda said, and I'm, I'm going to make it really happen. So thank you, Dr. Lorenda. I want to tell everybody to stay tuned for a special announcement. But I did want to thank someone that has been wonderful in the background, putting up the comments. That's Rebecca from PKA Solves. And she's been engineer. Hi, Rebecca. She's been engineering the show and being so helpful. Also wanted to thank Jess from Jess Toss Boys. She did the countdown. She did the promos. And she's making it look so great for all of you to appreciate. But most of all, I want to thank all of you. You're the reason that I'm here. And you're the reason that Dr. Lewitna is here. We want you to... Spread the word about this lifestyle. Those of you that have adopted it, you know that it's helping you. You want to help others also benefit from it. So like this broadcast, share it. You can subscribe to my YouTube or, or anybody that's doing a broadcast like this. Show your vote 
of support by liking and sharing it. And we're going to spread this word to the universe so that we can have more and more people adopting this lifestyle and being healthy. And now I'm going to be signing off with Dr. Wenda in a minute, but I wanted to have have two things that I wanted to tell you. First of all, I have one special announcement about me, and it's really exciting because I have been invited by Dr. Colin Zhu to be on his show, and that's going to be tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern and uh, 5 p.m. Pacific. I'm going to be doing two recipe demos, and I have these recipe demos that I like to do that are called hey, I can make that. So this is just going to be a couple recipes that you can easily make and it's going to be really fun. And I'm also going to talk about my plant-based journey. And then we have coming up next, Just Has Voice. Who is that going to be? At age 58, Jim was diagnosed with perforated diverticulitis, major depression, diabetes, and more. Today, he is over 100 pounds lighter. Fit and vigorous, Jim takes no prescription medications. Join us on Wednesday, October 27th, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Be Green with Amy, live. Well, thanks again, everyone. Thanks to you, Dr. Luenda. And type in the Be Strong, Be Well, Be Green as I say that when I sign off with Dr. Luenda. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Until I see you guys again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. Green. (laughs) Bye, everyone.